Good morning, everyone. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm glad you're uh, here this morning, ready for another chapel time together. Why don't we begin with a word of prayer? Lord, as your children now, we receive again another day. We receive this hour, the gift of it. We receive what will come our way in the hours to come. Help us to be open to it, whether it's something that is challenging for us, something that is nurturing. Either way, to trust that somehow your love is flowing to us again in new ways through the ideas that we'll encounter, faces of friends, the needs that will come our way. Help us to be awake to the fact that you are a personal God. You connect with us in personal ways, even in this moment. In your holy and compassionate name we pray. Amen. As a Christian university, one of the things we try to help one another do is to wake up to what that means. And there's discussions going on all the time about how that claim impacts what we do, whether it's in the classroom or here in places like this. We're also uh, keenly interested in prompting one another to think about that in terms of what it means to be a follower of Christ. It, it's not just about believing this or that. It's about coming to look like Christ. It's about saying, I'm getting closer. I'm stepping in behind Jesus and following in a more intentional way. We try to help one another with that here in all sorts of ways. One of the persons who is significant in that effort in our community is Jimmy Dorrell. He's a friend, a pastor to many, and also someone who speaks prophetically for us along the way. And as you know, is director of Mission Waco and pastor at the Church Under the Bridge. He spoke here last year in, this, in the fall, but he's here this morning to introduce our chapel guest and some other uh, fellow students to you. I want you to welcome Jimmy back to the chapel stage. Good morning. Hey, I want to introduce you to somebody. This is Andy Bilnetzer, and he is one of three uh, Baylor guys. This is the first year we've had all guys that we awarded at our banquet uh, the Servant Leader Award. There's a national foundation that decided uh, Christian universities should not just recognize scholars and athletes, but guys who get out there and make a difference in their community. And so Andy has been one of those guys who has given incredible numbers of hours serving the poor right here in Waco, Texas. He's a pre-med kid. There'd be all the reasons that he shouldn't uh, do that because he should be working on his books all the time. But he has invested deeply among the urban children in this community. And so he was one of our recipients for the Servant Leader Award. And I just wanted him to give you a real quick heads up. Before I do, uh, James Kelly, who's not here this morning, is one of those. And Tyler Meyer was another. And so these three uh, young guys have been really powerful for us, but I wanted him just to say what he's doing at Mission Waco. All right. uh, thanks, Jimmy. Uh, I'm working with the uh, after-school program for kids uh, first grade through fifth grade at Mission Waco, and I go there twice a week, and we tutor the kids, and we do crafts and activities with them, and we play with them, and it's just a great way to get involved in the community. You build relationships, and you really affect these kids' lives, so it's great. Next year, maybe you'll be standing where he is because we do this each year, and we really hope that you will consider uh, coming and being involved with us. If not Mission Waco, there are other groups, but find your place in Waco. 
I am privileged this morning to introduce to you one of my radical buddies. I am privileged because uh, we became friends 12 years ago, but Shane Claiborne is a guy who took seriously the words of Christ, which I believe is a radical gospel. I don't think you can read the words of Scripture and, and not be unchanged. He has taken those words seriously, and we are a part of a national group called Christian Community Development Association, CCDA. And uh, through our friendship through the years, Shane has been willing to come down to Waco. He spoke yesterday at Church of the Bridge with a massive crowd of folks that came from all over the state of Texas. And uh, then last night at Barfield, spoke again, did a question and answer time with students who are really struggling to say, I don't want to just be another Christian sitting in a pew. I want to make my life matter. And so he's one of those guys that today will challenge you. Will you welcome Shane Claiborne? Well, it's good to be here this morning. I uh, I wanted to bust open a little scripture uh, to start. Um, one of the things I love about Jesus is his imagination. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but whenever Jesus kind of gets asked the big questions or people try to box him in, he uh, he does cool stuff. Like when the tax collectors come and they're like, do you pay your taxes? Jesus tells them to go get a fish and it'll have a four drachma coin in its mouth. <laughs> That's cool, you know? Like, fish don't usually carry around coins in their mouth, you know? And, um, I mean, try that on tax day. But, that, like, like, I think, like, what he's always doing is, is he's calling into question the questions themselves and transcending them, you know, and kind of going, oh, Caesar, he can have his coins. I made the fish. What? You know, and, and so, like, in this, in this scripture in Luke 7, just to set the scene a little bit, uh, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, you know, the the guy that baptized him sort of prepared the way he got in a little bit of trouble with old king herod and so he got locked up he's in prison and i'm sure as he's waiting in prison he's hearing all the stuff about jesus and he's probably getting a little bit anxious you know like uh uh when when's the kingdom coming and uh so he sends his disciples out this is before he, john got his head cut off that's another day but like he, he's, he's hearing all this stuff and so he sends his disciples out to ask Jesus a very specific question. They're to ask Jesus, are you the one that we've all been waiting for, or should we expect somebody else? And listen to how Jesus answers the question. It says this in Luke 7. When John's disciples came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the one that we've all been waiting for, or should we expect someone else? Now at that time, Jesus cured those who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to the blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and tell John what you see and what you hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. I love that answer because it's kind of like he throws the question right back at him and he says, you know, they say, are you the one you've been wa- we've all been waiting for? And he goes, you tell me. Tell John what you see and what you hear. It's an invitation to kind of read the trail of crumbs behind him, you know? And I love that, that Jesus isn't walking around flaunting who he is, you know? Uh, he doesn't walk up to people like, hey, I'm the Messiah and your name, you know, uh, but, but he invites everybody to follow and they discover who he is. And, 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 uh, I, I think one theologian said it really well when he said, Jesus's way of evangelism was to spread the gospel, not through force, but through fascination, through fascination. And yet it, it makes me wonder 
do we have the same integrity as followers of Jesus that if people said to us, are you Christians? Can we say, tell us what you see and what you hear? Do we have the same trail of crumbs of, of redemption and good news and healing that follow us? And unfortunately, I think the signs show that over the last few decades, much of our Christianity has become less and less fascinating to the world around us. In fact, if you haven't seen the study uh, that the Barna Research Group did uh, that was released in a book called Unchristian, it shows that, that, that people's perceptions of Christians is just heartbreaking. They interviewed people outside the church, and they asked them, what are your perceptions of Christians? And the top three answers were, number one, Christians are anti-gay, anti-homosexual. Number two, Christians are judgmental. And number three, Christians are hypocrites. We got a little bit of an image crisis, you know, and, and much of it's well-deserved. It's what people have seen and heard. It's what people have felt. And, and, and uh, you know, I think for a lot of folks, one of the biggest obstacles to God has been Christians who have a lot to say with our mouths, but very little to show of God's goodness with our lives. And I think it's time to offer the world again a Christianity that gives them something to talk about, like Bonnie Ray might say, you know, uh, some, some, like a Christianity that people can see and touch because in Jesus, we don't just see a presentation of ideas, but we see an invitation to join a movement that is about embodying God's love in the world. And, you know, I, I was raised in East Tennessee, and I, I became a believer. You know, in fact, I, I joke sometimes that every year we would get born again, again, and again, you know. And, and yet, I was a believer long before I became a follower. And I began to see that, that we can uh, worship Jesus on Sunday morning and still not follow him. And, and, and the scriptures say that we can have faith to move mountains and speak in the tongues of men and of angels and do all sorts of miracles and prophecies but if we don't have love, it's still empty. And I began to realize that folks aren't going to know that we're Christians by our T-shirts and bumper stickers, but it's by our love. And by uh, the, uh, the more I read Jesus, the more I saw that, that, that uh, this, this is about how our faith works itself out in the world that we live in. In fact, Jesus' final account of the judgment day is really fascinating. In Matthew 25, you know, you, you may remember this, when all the nations are before God and, and we're asked a few questions by God. But interestingly enough, they're not, it's not a doctrinal test. God doesn't say, okay, virgin birth, agree disagree or strongly disagree you know but the question we're asked is when i was in prison did you visit me when i was hungry did you feed me when i was uh, sick did you take care of me uh, when you did it to the least of these you did it unto me and i started to think boy i've got a lot of work to do you know and i i thought uh, as i sought this idea out of what what does it look like to really have our, our, our faith uh, interact with the world that we live in. I, I, I fell in love with Mother Teresa, who seemed to be doing that pretty well, you know, and a group of my college friends and I, uh, as, as we were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, we just wrote her a letter, and we said, we don't know if you give internships in Calcutta, but we want to come work with you, you know, and before long, we found herself calling over to Calcutta, and she picked up the phone, and she said, come on over to Calcutta. Uh, she didn't have an accent uh, that was Southern, but, you know, she's a Come on. And we went over, and, and many of us have been there over the years. 
And I learned so much from the simplicity of her love and how you could see it and touch it. You know, I mean, you could, you could, you, you just couldn't mistake the, the price that she had paid to follow Jesus. In fact, one of the things I will never forget about Mother Teresa is her feet. And you see, we would go to worship every morning uh, at like five o'clock in the morning, and we would take off all of our shoes and socks, and we would go in barefoot. And as we knelt down on our knees, and, and many times I was very near to her, and I, I saw that her feet were terribly deformed. And, and it, it, you know, uh, I started to wonder if she had caught leprosy or something or what had caused that. Uh, of course, I wasn't about to ask Mother Teresa, you know, what's going on there or something, you know. So, uh, but one day, one of the sisters came up, and they said, have you noticed her feet? And I said, yeah, I have. And uh, she said, her feet are deformed because we get just enough shoes donated for everybody to get a pair. And so Mother Teresa goes through and she digs through the donations and she picks out the worst pair of shoes and she takes them for herself because she doesn't want someone else to have to wear a worse pair than she has. And after years and years and decades of wearing the worst pair of shoes, it's deformed her feet. And I can remember thinking, what would the world look like if we really took this idea of loving our neighbor as ourselves and honoring the needs of others above our own, as Scripture says, that seriously? You know, I mean, it shamed all the, the short-term mission trips I had gone on as a kid where we would dig through our closet and we'd find all the clothes that we don't wear anymore, you know, that have stains on them and zippers that sort of work, you know, and, and we would give those to the homeless because they really need them. And Mother Teresa would say, no, don't you dare. When you give to the poor, you give the very best stuff that you have because you're giving it to Jesus in his most distressing disguises in the least of these. And it wasn't just Mother Teresa that taught me that, but we, we got to hang out with a lot of kids who had, had very little in, uh, material stuff in their lives. But Jesus, you know, he, he has this way of saying, if you want to enter the kingdom, come in like a kid. And these, these kids taught me something because we, we would get them together every week. And uh, uh, a lot of these kids were homeless and orphans, and they were 8 and 10 years old, and they lived day in and day out by begging on the streets of Calcutta. But we would throw these street parties where we would blow bubbles and turn flips and open fire hydrants. It kind of looked like North Philly, you know. And we, we, would, we would gather them together. And there was one day that one of the kids came up, and he told me it was his birthday. So my mind starts racing, you know. I'm, I'm like, okay, I got to get this kid something. And I go, and uh, I, I think, what better to get him than an ice cream cone because it was about 120 degrees. And, and so I get him this ice cream. And I have no idea how long it had been since he had ice cream because when he gets it, he's just absolutely mesmerized. And he stares at it and just kind of shakes in excitement. He's like, you know, and then his instinct is, this is too good to keep for myself. So he yells at all the other kids, and he goes, we've got ice cream. Come here. You know, and he brings them all over, and he gets them all lined up, and he goes, everybody's going to get a lick. And he goes down the line, and he's like, your turn. Your turn. Your turn. You know, like, full circle. And then he makes it down the line and back to me, and he goes, Shane, you get a lick too. got this whole spit phobia thing going you know so i, I kind of fake a lick i'm like oh 
it's so good, chocolate. He's like, no, it's vanilla. You know, but that, that kid, he knew the secret that Mother Teresa knew, that Jesus knew that the best thing to do with the best things in life is to give them away. It's not to hoard them for ourselves. And if we cannot hold our possessions with open hands, then they are not our possessions. They possess us. You know, if we can't share the stuff that we've been given, then then uh, we, we are possessed by that iPod, you know. And, and so it's, it's an invitation to, to, to share, and yet it flies in the face of so much that we hear in our culture that is obsessed with this self-centered, prosperity gospel about what we can get from God and if you give a dollar you'll get a hundred you know and finding your best life and all these things if we're not careful with our obsession with ourselves we lose the secret of Jesus which is if you really want to find yourself you got to give yourself away and the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about was about giving ourselves away it's it's not just about uh, something that we go to when we die, but something that we're to bring on earth as it is in heaven. And uh, I, I can remember Mother Teresa had a beautiful way of kind of sending people out where she would say, you don't have to go across the world to follow Jesus. She said, Calcuttas are everywhere. If we'll only have eyes to see, find your Calcutta. Pray that God would give you the eyes to see the hurting, the pain, the loneliness right around you here in Waco, you know, or in North Philly. And we, we moved uh, into North Philly with that vision of trying to have the eyes to see the brokenness of our world and what in the imagination to, to think what would God's kingdom look like here. And in my neighborhood, we've got all kinds of ugly things. We've lost uh, over 200,000 jobs, and we've got abandoned factories everywhere, and we've got uh, a, a drug industry that's come into the neighborhood and it's one of the biggest sources of income. And, and there were a lot of ugly laws that were passed in Philadelphia that began to criminalize folks that found themselves in poverty or homelessness. In fact, I can remember one of the city officials being asked, uh, what, how are you going to prepare for the economic crisis? crisis and they said we're building five new prisons and we we began to see so many patterns that just don't look like God's dream and what, what we did in Philadelphia was we decided we need to be creative. You know, we need to celebrate God's kingdom in the face of, of struggle and injustice. And so we gathered a bunch of, uh, of our homeless friends together in Philadelphia where many of these laws were being passed. And one of the laws made it illegal to distribute food on the streets of Philadelphia to homeless folks. And so we, we, we decided, let's get creative. And we had this big party downtown Philly where we had about 100 homeless folks that were there and a bunch of other friends and advocates. And we came together and we brought our guitars and drums and we worshiped Jesus. And then we served communion, which was very tricky, you know, uh, unless you're Catholic, then you don't think it's the food at all, but it, it actually is the body and blood. So we're like, hey, we're all Catholic here today, you know, and, uh, um, God, like two of you Baptists got that. But, you know, like, and so then after the communion service, though, we would bring in, uh, we would continue the breaking of the bread by bringing in some pizzas, you know. And so we brought in the pizzas, which was really pushing the envelope since it was illegal to, to give away food. And, but the police officers, I mean, a lot of them were around. They're like, 
I'm not going to rest. In fact, I want a piece of pizza, you know. And, and, and uh, then we, we would sleep out in the park overnight uh, because it was illegal to be in the park if you were homeless uh, during the night. Uh, and all the time, we, we did that week after week, and it called these, these laws into question. And then one night while we were all there, the police were ordered to come in and to arrest everybody that was in the park after hours. So we were handcuffed and taken to jail and charged with disorderly conduct for sleeping. And uh, <laughs> I don't know about you, but I was like, man, somebody must have been snoring, you know. And uh, we, we, uh, we went and, and you know, we, we ended up... Um, Folks saw it on the news, and, and they were outraged. They were like, this is absolutely nuts. What is our city doing? You know, we had lawyers call us, and we told everybody, come to court to support us. But we wanted, we decided that we wanted to be represented by one of our homeless friends uh, named Alfonso, who had lived the struggle day in and day out. So his nickname was Fonz. So Fonz kind of served as our lawyer in court. And we went before the court, and the, the district attorney was really throwing the book at us. I mean, she wanted us to go to jail and serve time, and she wanted us to have thousands of dollars worth of fines, and she wanted us to have hours and hours of community service. <laughs> no, not that! You know, don't make us feed the homeless. Besides, it's illegal. You know, uh, but, we, you know, we, we go before the court, and, uh, and, and actually in court, I accidentally, instead of calling her the prosecutor, I, I referred to her as the persecutor, and I'm like, don't! You know, but then uh, we, we go back and forth, and I had a shirt on in court that said, Jesus was homeless. And the judge, first thing he did, he goes, come here. Jesus was homeless. Huh. I didn't know that. And I said, yeah, your honor, in the scripture, Jesus says that foxes have holes to go into and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And the judge said, huh, you guys might stand a chance. And we did. As we went before the court, uh, Alfonso stood up and Fon said, your honor, on behalf of the group, I'd like to say that we believe these laws are evil and wrong. And then he sat down. <laughs> We're like, yeah, what he said, you know, and we go back and forth and the judge says, you know what, what's in question right now is not whether or not these people broke the law. It's very clear to me that they broke the law, but what's in question is the constitutionality and the rightness of the laws that the city is passing around the homeless. And, uh, uh, and the district attorney said, no, 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 that's not before this court. And the judge said, that's before every court in the country. If it weren't for people who broke the unjust laws, we wouldn't have the freedom that we have. He said, that's the story of the civil rights movement. He said, we would still have slavery. And he said, these guys are not criminals. They're freedom fighters. And I find them all not guilty on every charge. And he dropped all of our charges that day. Yeah, it was a beautiful day. It was a beautiful day. Uh, and, and, you know, there's so many things that I remember as I think back. And one of the things that was really funny that happened was uh, some of the police officers that arrested us came to court to argue that the, the ch charges be dropped because the laws were bad. Uh, but one of them, when we went to jail, he took my Bible from me and... Um, I tried to reason with him, you know, I'm like, there's nothing in it, you know, it's, it's a sword of the spirit, brother, you know, but he wasn't having it, he said, no, 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 and he looked at me and he goes, this is still a dangerous thing, so you can have it when you get out, and, and I, I know that he was joking, you know, but I started thinking about it, and I'm like, 
that brother was right. This book has gotten a lot of people in trouble, you know? And I think if you read it and I read it and we say, what if Jesus really meant the stuff he said? It can turn our whole world upside down, you know? And that's why I think the great French thinker Jacques Ellul was right when he said, I don't know how we ever got the idea that we Christians are meant to be normal. Christians have always been holy troublemakers and creators of uncertainty certainty because they refuse to conform to the patterns of the world that are out in line with God's kingdom. And it's that which now, as I think of Jesus, uh, I do think he's a little dangerous, you know, and, and, and can get us in trouble from time to time. And it's that Jesus which uh, C.S. Lewis uh, speak, uh, speaks of as Aslan the lion, you know, that, that uh, is anything but safe, but he sure is good, you know. And, and that's the Jesus I've come to know. And I don't know if you've seen the movie The Lion King, but I, it gives me a little glimpse of how I think of Jesus now. You know, when the, when the uh, hyenas hear the, the name, Mufasa, you know that? They're like, Mufasa, ooh, say it again. And I think there's a part of me today that when we hear Jesus, we should be like, ooh, say it again, you know, because this Jesus that I know is a Jesus that causes us to collide with a lot of the patterns of materialism and militarism and racism and all of the things that are ugly in the world that we live in, that we are, are a new kind of people. And it's that Jesus, which, you know, the questions are always new. And it, it, as I look at Jesus's cross, we can see what perfect love looks like when it stares evil in the face. And it's that, as many of you know, uh, that led me over to Iraq uh, as a Christian peacemaker in 2003 to kind of bear witness to the love of the cross and in the face of the wars of nations. And uh, in the center of that cross, it, it seems, is this truth that there is something worth dying for, but there's nothing in the world worth killing for. And so I went over as a Christian peacemaker, and I just got to go back a couple of weeks ago. I was over in Iraq again as the first, one of the first unarmed civilians to come since the war started to, to build relationships of reconciliation. And the funny thing is, like, when I first went over, I had all of these kind of stereotypes of, of, of what was on the news, of what I thought I would experience in Iraq. But one of the things that was so beautiful was that God is already at work. And that's what you often find, I guess, when you go on mission trips or something is, is you think you're bringing the good news and it's already there, you know. And there's one service that uh, we went to with thousands of, of Iraqi Christians and Christians from all over the Middle East, actually, that had gathered together. And uh, uh, we, we sang Amazing Grace in Arabic. And then we said the Lord's Prayer in, in, in English and in Arabic. And, and uh, then the bishops came forward and they read a statement from the Christian church to Muslim people. And it was this beautiful pronouncement that said, we want you to know that we love you and that we believe you are created in the same image of God that we are, that you are made from the dirt of this earth that God breathed life into, and that we come from the same dysfunctional family of Abraham and Sarah. And it was uh, then that the bishops led us to the cross, and they said, this cross doesn't make any sense to the wisdom of the world or the smarts of smart bombs, but it is this cross which shows us a God that loves the world so much he died for them, for us. And as, as I was hearing all that, I just started, I was so moved. I was tears rolling down my face. And I ended up meeting with one of the bishops afterwards. And, and we were talking, and, and, and I said something a little ignorant. I was like, 
Bishop, I got to tell you, I'm amazed that there are so many Christians in Iraq. And he said, yeah, son, this is where it all started. And he said, you didn't invent Christianity in America. And then he goes, that's the Tigris River and the Euphrates out there. Do you know what they are? And he said, he said, you go back and you tell the church in the United States that we are praying for them. We're praying for them to be the body of Christ, to live that same message of reconciliation and enemy love and reckless abandonment that Jesus had. 